Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm at class with my good friend and co-host Ron Baker, and folks on today's show are adapted conversation with Dr. Reginald Lee. Hi, folks. Ed here. Ron's not with me this week, but we did have a conversation with Dr. Reginald Lee a few weeks ago that we made available specifically to our Patreon subscribers. It was so good that we decided to take some of the material and make it a regular show on the Soul of Enterprise. But if you're interested in getting the whole thing, you can subscribe to our Patreon channel at www.patreon.com slash TSOE. And you can listen to the whole conversation there. But right now, the first segment in our conversation with Dr. Reginald Lee. We have my hero on the on uh, with us. Yes. Dr. Reginald Lee. This guy is uh, creating all sorts of problems. He's a troublemaker. <laughs> in the best welcome, of senses. Reginald. Yeah, yes, welcome. For sure. Thank you. It's great to be here. When you said you had your uh, your hero on, I thought, wait a minute, is Gilder on? I was uh, looking for another picture to pop up. <laughs> Anybody who bends my mind um, like you have and it never goes back to its original shape, yeah, that's that's a cool thing. We engineers call that plastic deformation. Yeah, there you go. That's beautiful. There you go. That's that's excellent. Well, take it away, Ron. You have you you you've got some questions right out of the gate here, so let's let's go. Well, yeah, I I mean we are well. We want to talk about subscription and cost accounting, so definitely want to do that. We want to talk about subscription and project management because I know Reginald has a lot of ideas about that, like your capacity maps. But I know you've also been listening to a lot of the TSOE shows going back, mm-hmm. and I just. You know, and I know it's kind of maybe turned you into a subscription business model convert, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to figure out or ask you what other things have been hitting you um, that you've listened to that have really struck you. Wow. As it relates to subscriptions or in general? No, no anything, actually. Just, I'll tell just, you what. It's This has been transformative for me, um, primarily because, so I went through this period of, uh, probably when I was in graduate school where I just read a ton, right? And a lot of different stuff ranging from um, string theory and particle physics all the way down to C.S. Lewis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd gotten to a point where, and I don't know if it's because I was doing a lot of writing or, or what, but it seemed like a lot of the books that were coming out just weren't interesting. They weren't offering anything new at all. And so as I searched for, um, you know, different podcasts, for instance, uh, that had something new, something deep, I just couldn't find it anywhere. And it's when I started listening to you guys on a regular basis that I really started just expanding 
um, but just from from so many different perspectives, for instance, uh, you know, listening to uh, Reagan speechwriters and, you know, the stories behind leading up to the speeches. And, that, you know, I found that to be fascinating. Um, I, I listened to, um, you know, Soul and, and uh, Walter Williams and being a, a, a you know, Ed, I hope you don't hold this against me, but I've been a Republican my whole life. And so, <laughs> uh oh, although probably, you know, as I listen to you guys, uh, especially one of the recent shows, and I don't remember who it was, but uh, you know, he talked about libertarianism and I could probably relate more to that than really where where the party is right now. Uh, you know, but as I listen to conservative economists uh, speak then, you know, a lot of the things that had resonated with me, but I didn't have the theories behind it, uh, really started coming out. And so I think that for me, what it's been is it's been, uh, you know, and, and, and this came up in you guys' um, uh, measures and metrics uh, presentation just a couple of days ago, uh, that I listened to a couple of days ago. Um, but it reminded me of um, the book Coopetition. Hmm. And Love that. there is, isn't it a great book? It is. And one of the um, one of the definitions that I read in that book of value that has stuck with me since is how are how are you or how is something better with you in it or how would it be worse if you're not in it? Right. Kind of game theory, um, the idea of, of value in game theory. Right. And when I think about your your podcast, I think it's that how am I better with it? Right. Because there's so much I've learned, so many people I've listened to that have just expanded my mind in ways that hadn't been expanded since I went through that whole knowledge period back when I was in graduate school. So I'm thankful to both of you for, for that. Uh, but I, I would say, you know, the the, the, the uh, stuff on economics, uh, definitely the stuff on politics as it relates to, uh, you know, the numerous speech writers that you've had on. Um, I want to listen to more of the National Review stuff. Uh, but right now it's been very selfish in looking for specific um specific episodes that help me change or switch over my business model because I'm, as you mentioned, uh, planning to go full subscription um, as, as soon as I possibly can. Even heading into the school year, what I'm looking to be able to do is set up a couple of subscriptions with potentially previous customers uh, and then test those out over the year so that as we get into uh, you know next summer and beyond, then we've got that, you've got the experience and the model set up. And we've got the the learnings from from having gone through uh, uh, switching over to a subscription model. So, what got you hooked, or or made you want to switch your business to subscription? I'm really curious about that as well. well it's, yeah, that's really kind of funny because on one of the um, the fellows calls, and I think Ron, you were basically laying down laying down the law and uh, value pricing 2.0, right? And there are a number of us who thought that there should be a hybrid model that should exist. And as even some of your guests that you've had on have thought have talked about a hybrid model, right? Um, but the more I listened to it and the more I looked at how subscriptions have affected my personal life. Uh, you know, you guys, one of the, uh, I, I don't know if it's Warlow who mentioned um, subscription car washes, for example. Yep. And I do subscribe to I, um, a car wash uh, through subscription. Did you go uh, every day for the first month? <laughs> you know, you know, I didn't. But, you know, I, I, I was wondering if they were concerned about me doing that. Right. Because, you know, what happens sure. if the customer, you're right, like you guys said. But no, seriously, they've, they, um, you know, through the pandemic, they were open. Um, as you guys have, have mentioned before, um, one of my favorite places where I do a lot of writing, a, um, a restaurant winery called Cooper's Hawk. 
And they did a fantastic job when they had to shut down. In fact, what they did was the employees who worked there, it's kind of a, you know, a mid range um, uh, restaurant, you know, nice restaurant, take your family out or whatever. Not, not like a Chili's place, uh, but, you know, higher end than that. Um, and they've got their own winery. And I think they're mostly east of the Mississippi. But anyway, what they did, at least at this one in, that I go to, is for all of their employees, they fed them. Mm. So every other day, the employees came. They weren't working, weren't getting an income from from Coopers, and they fed them. And I talked wow. to the GM, and it was primarily the subscriptions that sustained them. Wow. So the wine members continue to pay for their mm. wine subscriptions, right? And so they have, uh, I want to say, you know, close to a half million subscribers. Um, but, you know, when that money is coming in, right, then it just makes sense. And when I started, you know, I started struggling with, because my, I, you know, I was, I was, I've been a, a proponent of value proposition, of value pricing for a very long time. And notionally, what I would do, especially since I deal with cash, is try to align my value proposition with the cash improvements or the directional improvements that would lead to cash for, for my customers, right? Um, and so to me, I was tied up in specifically that. How do I bring that value out and how do I price for the value? But as I listen to you guys, as I learn more, as I started thinking about pricing the portfolio, for instance, then it made perfect sense. Well, you know, if I get you know X number of customers, then I don't really have to worry about that value proposition to the same extent. Now, you know, one of some of my focus focus is on making sure that I still generate cash value for the customers, right? So that's still there. That desire is still there, and I'm looking for that as a basis to to use the, use for pricing for the subscriptions, but not necessarily for the one off activities. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the thing that's really struck me, Reginald, and maybe, uh, you know, prepping for Mark's diving and talking to Mark about it really hit this, really hit home for me is recurring value. If your business provides recurring value, then subscription is optimal. And I mean, we're three consultants here. I mean, we provide, we can provide recurring value, just like accountants provide recurring value and get your tax return done every year, blah, blah, blah. It just makes so much sense because it doesn't matter what that value is. The scope doesn't matter. How can I help you? <laughs> what, am, yeah. what am I capable of doing? And what, like you, like you said, how can I be more valuable in this picture? Mm-hmm. You know, how can I help you? And, and it just forces you to do that. And I just think that's awesome. It is. It really is. And I thank you guys for opening my eyes to it. And I know I've started sharing it with a lot of folks. Um, you know, I've got a friend who does, uh, like, don't hold this against me as well, but we are both industrial engineering professors together, but he does <laughs> Lean Six work, right? And one of the things I told him was, hey, you know, RC, you should think about this sub- subscription model because, I mean, he's a guy who has a lot of capabilities, a lot of skills, has done a lot of uh, work for most major companies as a consultant, has been a professor. Um, and so instead of selling these one-off opportunities, be their lean guy. Why not? You know, set it up and for X, you know, thousands of dollars a month, you call me for whatever you need, whenever you need it, and I'm there. And to me, it just seems like it would be a lot easier in a business like that be able to set up, you know, two or three customers based on the capacity you do have and just, you know, work with those folks and, and drive value, that recurring value that you talk. So, but what, so to talk to us a little bit about your thoughts as, as you've gone through this journey on what, what has it changed your mind, if at all, or maybe made it more solid around the work that you do around cost? It's really interesting. Um, to me, it further solidifies 
some of the ideas that I've been sharing with folks and definitely the mathematical models related to cash and operations and capacity. And here's why. So let's take the worst case scenario, the far end of the spectrum or the scale is the hourly billing project, right? So the idea behind hourly billing is, you know, we come up with, first of all, we have to come up with our, our cost for the people, right? And so we try to figure out what it is that it's going to cost for our people to be on a project. What's an hour of the cost mean as it relates to the project, right? And then I got to figure out what am I going to charge for that hour? And to me, that reinforces the need for people to be tied into timesheets and for people to be tied into margins. And we all know the negatives about timesheets. The reason I think that there are, and I, you know, I won't re repeat that here, uh, but the, the problem I have with that, and I'm working on that in this next book dealing with engagement economics is that's, that doesn't work, right? So if, if I have a person who makes $100,000 a year, for example, and we come up with an hourly rate of what's that, $50 an hour, right, over 2,000 um, hour year. Now, if I say that that, project's going to cost us $50 an hour for that person to be on the ground and that I've got to sell a project for more than $50 an hour to make money on that person, then that's, that gets me thinking about, okay, so what is it that I need to be able to charge and I got to do cost plus and it locks me into all these negativities, right? And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to start thinking about things such as, well, you know, if I'm going to bill by the hour, I got to work them, make sure they're getting all the hours. So now we're focusing on that efficiency equation where we're running people into the ground, potentially doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff so that we can do all the, you know, improve our margins, right? And so we do all these negative things from a managerial perspective and we take a step back and look at it. None of it makes sense. For example, the company's not spending, and you guys have heard this before, the company's not spending $50 for every hour that employee spends on the project. It's $100,000 whether they're working on the project or not, regardless of their output levels, regardless of the quality of the output, right? And so if, if so on that one end, there was so much negativity associated with that model, then it's hard for me to break out and help people understand, here's how you look at it differently. I'm still working on that. And that, but the, uh, the book that's in production now, Project Profitability, dealt, Profitability uh, dealt with some of that, but it's been a lot harder. Now, when I deal, deal with subscriptions on the far end or the other end of the spectrum, what I'm finding is that the models that I've been putting together basically since graduate school are working. For instance, when you start thinking about, Morlo did a decent job with this initially in saying that, uh, you know, I'm going to have monthly costs that, you know, expenditures I'm going to have to pay for. I've got to pay for my employees. I've got to pay my rent. I've got to pay all these things. And I know that they're going to be there on a monthly basis. They're going to be there whether I have subscribers or other, uh, you know, one-off customers or not. So I model the cash and, and helping people understand how much are you spending? And if the objective is to bring in more cash than you're spending, then they're really independent things. I need to use my resources to try to figure out how to generate that cash. And so if I can generate the cash using subscriptions, then I have a, a lot clearer way of modeling my cash, right? What's coming in? When's it coming in? I know. What's going out? When's it going out? At what magnitude? I know. So from a cash projection, cash management perspective, it becomes a lot clearer how to do it and that these two things of sales coming in and expenditures going out are different.
And so when you start doing things like trying to create a gross margin or contribution margin for a, a subscription model, that's gone. That's gone. Because how, how do you do it? The only way to do it is to go back to allocating costs, which is what lies damn lies just blew up and said, don't do that because mathematically it makes no sense. Logically, it makes no sense. And if you look at it from a detail perspective, from a business perspective, it really makes no sense. And so now because they're so separate, I have to manage them separately. I have to look at things separately. That concludes the first part of our conversation with Dr. Reginald Lee. I want to remind you that our Patreon channel does allow for shout-outs. This month's shout-out goes to Mark Gandy at CFO Bookshelf Podcast. You can find that at cflbookshelf.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are back and up next, segment two of our conversation with Dr. Reginald Lee. For the full version, subscribe to our Patreon channel at patreon.com slash TSOE. But right now, more with Dr. Lee. Let me ask you this. You know, I think one of the reasons accountants love to go after costs, and Jules Goddard, uh, uh, professor we had on a couple times, actually made this point. He said, if you look at the income statement, you know, we've got 50 million categories for costs and one category for revenue. <laughs> that doesn't, you know, is it a new customer? Is it an old customer? Is it a discounted? You know, we, we could do much better with that. But costs are known. I, as an accountant, can play all sorts of games with costs, as you know, generate all these different metrics. But lifetime customer value has to be modeled and projected. Mm-hmm. And we accountants have problems anytime you ask us to model something or project something, because it's not what we do. Yeah, yeah. And, and, that's where, um, and you guys have had a number of strategists on, it's my career as a strategist, one of the things I learned is that there's so much uncertainty associated with strategy that it's hard to go in and actually project what a number is going to be. So they have various levels of uncertainty that we have to apply 
our presentation of the data or projections too. And so one of the things I found with, with the lifetime projection is um, one potential way to do it, and may even help the accountants as they think about this, is what we used to do is for this type of uncertainty is we would bound the upper and lower expected values, right? And so the lower lifetime value would be X, and these are the assumptions behind X. So for instance, uh, one of the the guests recently uh, that I listened to said that they would go with four months, um, go with a four month subscription, right? Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. after that four months, then they would adjust the price, right? Well, if you can agree to that four months, then that may be a low end that, under the assumptions that the customer walks away after four months, that's the low end of the lifetime value, right? The high end might be, you know, this, and these are the assumptions behind it. What you're doing is you're bounding it and saying, okay, these are the assumptions for it to be the uh, this lowest value. These are the assumptions to be the highest value. Now, where are we in that continuum of, of assumptions so we can get a better feel for what we think that lifetime value should be? And what, this, what benefit this has is I was um, on the board of this group recently, who recently was giving a presentation and I would have coached the director when it came to um, a weighted average cost of capital to bound it, right? To give options there, low end of eight, for instance, high end of 12. So what happened? She went with 10 and then one of the other board members beat her up over 10. So we weren't able to move forward because he was fighting about whether it was so 10 or not, 10 right? Or not. Right. And so if we got it between 8 and 12, will you agree that those are reasonable values? Yes. Okay. Now, if it's 8, this is what this deal looks like. If it's 12, this is what this deal this. looks like. And it allows you to keep moving forward with the conversation rather than having people fight over that one-point projection that you make. You know, I th- finance people, engineers, economists, and actuaries all do that. They, they, they have bounded, assu- and they show you the assumptions. If, if mm-hmm. the economy grows this rate, if unemployment is this rate, this is how Social Security is going to turn out in 40 years. And all of, all of their uh, models are, you know, good, better, best type, right? Worst case, mm-hmm. best case. Um, we accounts, Reginald, we don't do that. That's we give you a, we give you a, we, we rather be precisely wrong rather than approximately right. So we yeah. give you one number, take it or leave it. And it's, you can hear that in the language, right? Whenever I talk yeah. to customers and my cost is, oh, really? <laughs> really? I'm, that's a trigger. That, that's a trigger for me now. And what's the unit cost? All hell breaks loose. Yeah, it does. It, it you does. know. You go back and say, well, what if you change this allocation? You know, what if I change your burden rate by a tenth of a percent? Is that now your cost? You know, it's just and and I think this this dialogue is really good for me in that there are a number of accountants, I think, who are coming back to me and starting to understand this stuff. And so you guys have been instrumental in, in that happening because. Um, you know, before that, I would just be banging my head against the wall because, you know, I had folks who were just so focused on the unit cost or the, the, the cost to acquire, for instance, a, you know, a new customer, the cost to serve a customer, the cost to do X, Y and Z. And they're so wrapped up into that, that, you know, breaking that thinking has been been extremely challenging. Well, they take it to another degree. In fact, I think we talked about this with uh, Mark uh, on the on a, the bonus episode with him because u- utilization is 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 at least saying, all right, here we're trying we, what we're trying to measure here is, or get, get a metric is all right, two thousand hours. How many of them did you quote bill? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Realization, which is just that one der- der- derivative I mean, later, yeah. 
Yeah. Is what, what did we actually take in based on what your, and it's, it's this convoluted thing. Okay. So you, you build 80% of your eyes, your utilization was 80%, but we only got paid on 50% of your 80%. <laughs> and it, so it's this, it's, it's one separated and, and boy, that is the gold standard in so many accounting firms oh, that, okay. that realization rate. And it's, and it's like, you realize that this is just complete bullshit. It's just totally made up. Um, but no, 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 it's sacrosanct. Absolutely yeah. sacrosanct. And what's interesting is there have been so many cases I've seen where uh, people would check the realization and say, okay, let's move forward with the project. But rarely was the, utiliz- the realization 100%. Right. So if it's not 100% and you're writing off, they're saying, okay, yep, let's move forward in the realizations, let's say 40, 50%. What does that other number mean? What is it? What are you using for? Right. Right. And if we start getting down to, uh, you know, the the decisions that we make and one of the and I don't remember which which show it was, but you guys were talking about this with with measures and metrics, uh, I think, is because you had a couple of shows on this. So I don't remember which one it was, Mm -hmm. Uh, but people starting to manage to the metrics rather than to what you're trying to do, right? right? right. And so what we're trying to do is generate revenue and, and provide value for our customers. And so if we get wrapped up into the, the billable hour and whether I, you know, write off, you know, turn the clock off to go to the bathroom, when I get wrapped up in all that stuff, you got to ask yourself, how is that affecting the people who are working for you and their ability to drive value? They're so worried about, uh, you know, covering their behinds that you, that's got to have an impact on things. You know, it's so bad. I'll tell you an interesting thing. When I was at EY, I was horrible about getting my timesheet in. So it, I wasn't the only one. So they put on, <laughs> they put this requirement that everybody had to have their timesheets in by, I think it was 10 o'clock on Friday. Right. And so I was actually on a, I want to say it was a first or second date with someone. And obviously before I was married and I had to break away from dinner <laughs> to go turn to in my timesheet. Time oh and she my said, God. you're kidding me, right? And I said, no, I'm very serious. You could actually come to my car with me and you could watch me do it, right? Because you probably but, wouldn't get paid if you didn't do it, right? They would well, I'd get your- paid. Well, I, w- I would get paid. But the, the problem is it creates all kinds of other issues from an accounting perspective. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, when you start thinking about where some of these companies are going, the question is, why does it matter how many hours I work? doing doing what work, right? If, if you're setting yourself up to get the work done, then let's have a conversation about whether the work is getting done or not, right? If it's the, the right value for the customer, if it's the right quality level for what the customer is looking for. If you're doing that, then why does it matter that you do take that two-hour lunch? It right. shouldn't, right? But now we got so many people who are sitting there on Fridays instead of potentially driving value for the customers trying to figure out what did I do during this day, what did I do that day? And trying to recall this stuff for the sake of doing the timesheet and for the sake of getting this thing in by 10 o'clock. And you know, Fridays had to be spent at least part of Friday doing some of that work. Absolutely. Right. right. Which, t- which turns a little bit to the conversations of project management and the, the conversations that, that, that Ron and I had on this topic. But, but, you know, one of the things that I've looked to put in place is what I called an issues list. And I think more recently I talked about how that would be updated more for uh, an agile um, environment mm-hmm. is what percent of the, the, the tasks that I was responsible for did I, did I complete on or before 
the original estimated completion date. Right. That's the effectiveness measure in my view. How effective yep. am I? And that's way more important to me than the whole efficiency thing. Cause as you said, like, well, okay, putting in the timesheet is all efficiency. What, 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 how much time did I spend on it? Who cares? Was it done on Thursday when it was supposed to be done? That's what I want to know. Yep. Yep. And, and I think that that's very important to know. Um, and you guys are probably hate me for, for dealing with, for saying this, but there's an element of understanding what was required to get that done, I think is important as well. Because a lot of times when we start t- saying things such as I can, you know, if the customer comes along and says, Hey, can you do this reconciliation for me? And I say, yeah, I got someone who can do it. And I put that person on the project. Right. And if I find that in that particular case, I had to get three people to get it done and that and that uh, the time I agreed to, the question then becomes, did I miss something? Right. Is this really a three person project when I assume it's going to be a one person project or does a person not have the skills to be able to get this thing done? Right. You know, so there, there's that element of it that I'd like to understand. But as I mentioned in strategic cost transformation, that's not a, a timesheet kind of an issue. You no, know, that's that's an after action review. Action. Let's have yes. a conversation. You know what? I had to bring two people in because this happened. OK, what do we learn from this? When we have this kind of a situation, we got this kind of a skill set. We have to take a look at the number of people who are involved. I think that's going to be an, an important element when it comes to subscriptions as well, because as you guys mentioned on, on one of the shows, capacity management is going to be key. I mean, that's my biggest concern right now is how many customers would I be able to take on and provide the value they're looking for at the capacity that I currently have? And so right. understanding how the capacity is being used at a high level then can help me understand. All right. So, you know, you guys are getting a lot of value from me. And I think that's great. So let's potentially talk about revisiting the price here and I can back off potentially, you know, a, a customer that's not using me as, as, as much. Right. Uh, you know, there, there are options. I'm going to have to figure out the dynamics of the portfolio. But to me, understanding capacity use for the things that they're going to ask us to do is going to be is going to be key. That concludes the second segment with Dr. Reginald Lee. I want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. A reminder that our Patreon channel is sponsored by 90 Minds. Need a mind? Get one at 90minds.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everyone. We're presenting excerpts from our conversation with Dr. Reginald Lee on The Soul of Enterprise today. Time up for segment three. Reminder, if you want to get the entire interview with Dr. Lee, please visit our Patreon channel at patreon.com slash TSOE. Well, and that's one of the things I've always talked about is that there's the, there's not a problem, and Ron would call this doing your timesheets in advance, saying I, ha- I have a particular task and I want to break it into enough granular level where I can say, all right, this particular aspect of the task should take me, I pick a number. Eight hours. And all, all I want to know is – and it's got to be done Thursday. OK, so it's going to take eight hours and it needs to be done Thursday. So the person who then is checking that off or, or, or agreeing to that assignment that, yes, I can do it by Thursday and eight hours sounds about right, they're then managing their capacity to say I have that eight hours between now and Thursday. OK, great. Mm-hmm. And then what they should do is if, if it takes significantly longer or significantly shorter, there should be a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. If it's plus or if it's six to and here's that range again, if it's six to 10, don't worry about it. Just check it off as done. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if it's 16 right. or if it's two, I want to know because there could be a couple things going on. Maybe you've innovated. Maybe you've maybe you've come up with a way to do something that I thought should have taken eight hours, but it's now taking you two. Great. That's fantastic. But I want to know about I want to capture that innovation and be able to share it with other people. Right. Or maybe you didn't understand the assignment mm-hmm. and your quality was way off because you didn't understand that the quality level of this particular assignment was uh, um, to a much higher expectation level. Mm-hmm. So I just want to know those deviations. And here's the thing. Ninety plus percent of the tasks that are allocated are going to fall in that standard deviation range. And but the, the timesheet makes us look at every single one of those. Right, <laughs> right, right. And it's irrelevant. I, I just want to know the exceptions. That's where I want to manage by exception. You know, I, just, I just want to know what what are the deviations. Let's look at those things. Yep, yep. And it, it's it's funny because I think I mentioned that they moved us over into the analytics department here at the university, and people keep asking me about analytics now. I don't really know jack about analytics, but um, you know, I'm, I'm in the department because I'm a, an operations guy. But the thing that scares me about analytics is that you have people who don't understand modeling, who are using this stuff, right? Now, the, you know, the, the professors, by and large, I think, understand the tools, but I don't know that they always understand the business situations that are being that the tools are being applied in, right? And so when I listen to you, and I li- listen to what's going on, um, you know, when it, when it comes to modeling hours work, right? You talked about the deviations, am I here, am I here? <laughs> then, you know, you can come to a point where you're saying, well, given what you're asking me, my model tells me I work either between 25 hours and 60 hours because there are deviations all over the place. It could have been this. It could have been that. I don't know. So do you want me to spend a lot of time trying to get this down for your modeling purposes to create numbers that I don't that that are meaningless? Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to spend all this time trying to reduce those deviations so I can come up with a number. But the deviation may still be true. It took me between six and eight. I don't remember. I'm going to put down eight. Right. right. And so you're still <laughs> not going to get the information that you're looking for. If you're if you're a caring type of, of, of uh, leader. Right. Are mm-hmm. you working too much? Right. If it's if it's taking you too long, what can I do to help you 
learn how to do this better? What resources can I bring to you to help you get this thing done, right? And so I miss out on those kind of things by setting up these models. And what's concerning me about this analytic stuff is that it's going to go, I feel like in some cases, it's going to go more in that direction. Oh, you know, yeah. Like we saw with costing. What else can we do? What else can we do? Hey, we can come up with the cost of, I'm looking at the tape dispenser, grabbing a piece of tape. It, it, it just makes no sense to me. And to me, it's just in some ways getting worse with the numbers. And, and it's funny because my, um, my, my, when, I, when I went to graduate school, right, my first meeting with my advisor, there was a woman that was doing some work. I want to say it was related to chaos theory. It was in, in mechanical engineering, right? And so she was in uh, Glenn Johnson's office before I got there. And so I said, hey, what's she studying? He told me, told me a dissertation title. I, I didn't understand it, right? I was just starting a program. I finished before her. She's still trying to figure out this, this, this thing over here that didn't work. And what I thought was, hey, you know, her situation is applicable in one or just very small, um, a very small scope of, of, of the opportunity to apply things from an engineering perspective. And we keep going in that direction. It's being more and more minute, more and more Newtonian, right? With my dissertation, I flipped it and said, all right, so since we're going in all these uh, directions of, you know, uh, uh, minutia, what if we flipped it around and say, what have we not learned now when we look at this from a global perspective? Can we create a picture now from a global perspective of this, you know, because we thought we had that global perspective back in the early 1900s, for example. But once you got down in the minutiae, once you go back to recreate it, we had lost what we were trying to do. And so I flipped, I, I flipped it around and said, well, instead of working on all coming up with another metric and this, you know, unique uh, application, let's go back and take a look at manufacturing and look at it as a function of time. What can we get done in, in you know, this period of time? And we look at that more globally, then we have a better way of understanding and executing this strategy. Yeah. yeah so it reminded me of, I think it was Brene Brown's first TED Talk that she became famous for where, the, the, where she basically had a mental breakdown because the date, what she's, I think the quote is, the data were telling me that the data didn't matter. And that created an existential crisis for me. <laughs> the, the, I, I was so data driven and the data were telling me that the data didn't matter. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and there's so many, so many situations with that. Right. I mean, I know when I found out it, it was hard for me to accept when I came to the conclusion that costs make no sense. S-E-N-S-E, C-E-N-T-S. It makes no sense because of how we had to get there. And I struggled with that. It was the same kind of a thing, right? The data were telling me that this doesn't matter. And then the question is, how do you resolve that? And it took a while to just kind of get over it emotionally. And I'm, you know, don't know if that's what happened with Brene or not. But I mean, it's just kind of like, wow. And then you move on. But at that point, you're so excited to share it. It's like, hey, you know, this is some really cool stuff. And, you know, you have some people who are basically telling you to go pound sand and then you have some folks like, you know, you guys and, you know, my customers who have been just really supportive of, of, of applying those ideas. But, yeah, yeah it's just a challenge. Certainly a challenge. I, I forget who the, the guy is. And, and I always whenever I tell the story, I, I think I got to remember who this person is because it's, it's so good. But he, he did an executive summary of executive summaries. Have you ever heard this? Oh, Reginald you, told right? me. you <laughs> talked about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, exa- so the, 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 the first first one is, is some do, some don't. Conclusion B, the differences aren't very great. And C, it's more complicated than that. 
That's excellent. I like that about anything. It's great. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Well, Ron, what else do you have? This has been very helpful for me, and I'm getting some you know project management insight. We didn't put Ron to sleep, so that's good. Well, one of the things, Reginald, first started trying to get people away from the billable hour and measuring realization, utilization, they would say, well, but yeah, it's an artificial number, the hourly rate. You know, it's not even really cost plus because they just, they look around at the competition and figure out where they want their hourly rate to be, right? So it's not even, it's not based on their numbers even. Um, and they'd say, but it's, it shows our opportunity cost. It shows our opportunity cost of doing this work. And that struck me on many levels. First off, opportunity cost is not a cost accounting uh, thing. It's an economist thing. Mm -hmm. But second, no, it doesn't. Because opportunity cost has to be decided ex ante before you do the thing. If you're looking at it after the fact, you're analyzing sunk costs. Right. And you're crying over spilt milk. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. You know, this whole opportunity cost thing to me is is wrong as well, because when you look at it in terms of how it behaves from a cash perspective, it's actually revenue. It would have been revenue. Right. We're talking about the revenue lost. Right. It's not even a cost. Right. But we call it a cost right, and right. It somehow gets factored into the cost thing. But, yeah, it, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me because, again, you know, when you start, how did you figure out even what that opportunity cost value was? Ex ante even. Yeah. 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 You know, so there's so many assumptions that are made there. And so once you find a number, what are you doing about it as a leader? What do you, what do you do? Right. right. <laughs> I, I guess it's and part then judge. What? I guess right. it's and then what? <laughs> I, I guess it's part judgment though, too, the opportunity cost. For instance, like, you know, we're all consultants and you say you're looking, trying to figure out your capacity. Say you figure out your capacity, I don't know, making crap up, but you, you can handle 10 customers on subscription. Well, once you're at eight and the ninth one walks through the door and wants to go on subscription and you look at them and go, uh, do I really only want to leave one more spot or do I want to leave two open for what might even be better opportunity? I mean, I don't know. That's not to me. That's a judgment call. And it's a tough judgment call, but it's but but you're still kind of thinking about opportunity costs there because you're thinking about leaving that space open for a future, you know, probable event, another a better customer coming along. Yeah. Kind of like the hospital model, right? I'm going to keep capacity available in case someone comes along. Right. Or the airline model, you know, yeah, we fill the plane, but then the 1K flyer pops up at the last minute, wants to see, okay, we can go bribe somebody off or if you're knighted, you know, pull them off uh, the plane. But um, so they have a way of handling that. I guess we could do that, too, as consultants. We could just tell people or pay to get out of their contract Mm -hmm. to open up a spot. And you've talked about that idea before. Yeah, yeah, you could definitely you know, for, do that for a rush job or something. But I, I it just because I, I struggle with that capacity issue as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I've only got so much capacity. So if I, I know if I book this date too far in advance, well, what if a better speaking opportunity comes along, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm making 30 grand rather than five? Right. I don't want to give that up. Uh, but if I commit to it too soon, 
I've kind of, in effect, given it up because there's only one of me, unless I can get somebody else to do it for me. You can I've give done. me the thirty. You can give me the thirty-one, Ron. I'll but take yeah, the thirty-one. No, Ed, will, the Ed will only go after the higher ones. I can't give him the crappy ones. <laughs> I have to give those to Dan. Oh, this ends the third segment with Dr. Reginald Lee. But right now, a word from our sponsors, and this time, my employer, Sage. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And now for our fourth and final segment of our excerpted show with Dr. Reginald Lee. But but well, but I think there's something to be learned there again from Mark Stiving too, and his his the, the concept of win keep grow right. The, what 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 are we what how many are we winning? What do we want to keep? Is there some kind of force churn that we want to have just for the health of the business? Right. And then but but also what customers do we want to grow? Do we do we want to go? We, yeah, my capacity is ten, but you know what? I've got five right now that I would rather grow those five. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and in a sense, right, that and, and Mark clearly alluded to this, but we didn't say it outright. That's three different revenue buckets that we're now tracking where. Right. So, so in response to what you said earlier, Ron, where, you know, we have all of these cost buckets, but but very few revenue buckets or if any, win, keep, grow is three different revenue buckets. We're going to yes. measure that. Yep. And the subscription metrics that they develop, these VCs and others like like Zora, they mm-hmm. do track that. They right. have ways to figure out, okay, this is the new customers, this is existing customers who've upgraded, bought more, mm-hmm. or downgraded. Yep. For that matter. They they do track that at a at a granular level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think the, the, that's really interesting stuff to me. I mean, that to, to, when you get to that point, but it's man breaking breaking people off of this the the habit of you know. And look, we uh, we're, the start of the the sage quarter started again July first, and I don't know how many meetings I was in earlier this month where, and, and look, seventy percent of Sage's revenue, maybe more now, is is subscription, hmm. but the thinking inside the company Has is. Been. 
we started at zero. We're starting at zero. You know, oh, that, you're on the 40 yard line. Oh, you know, right. 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 <laughs> you know, but that's how the, that's how everybody thinks, especially wow. that, well, that we're starting at zero. We have to finish, we have to, we have to finish the, finish the year strong, make this the best quarter. Shouldn't we just know already? Shouldn't we just really know? So there was a push for yeah. sales and. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I can't figure it out. You know, and this gets to the whole discounting thing just makes me crazy. What, what, what are we doing? I mean, subscription should eliminate the, the concept of the discount. Yeah. And the cycles of the moon. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pricing based on astrology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have a proposal for something I sent out today, and it's it's. I, I tried to make the subscription model as absolutely attractive as possible, and is in, interesting. Reginald is to a university, <laughs> so really, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the guy, the guy that I'm working with is is. Well, I don't know if they're going to go for this. You know, they're, 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 their their model doesn't doesn't comport with. If we can't put in a subscription, subscription. contract into the mix because that's going to cause all kinds of problems. There's the, got to be a the, the defined state, scope of work. Yeah, the state requires that. Yeah. Ugh, kill me. Wow. wow. <laughs> I know it sucks, doesn't it? It absolutely sucks to to look at that scope of work and go, "Oh my God, are you kidding me?" Mm-hmm. There's so much more I could do here, but this, well, so anyway. Yeah. Well, that, that <clears throat> kind of led me to some of the thoughts, because Ed, you'd mentioned on the, on the, um, the project management episode mm-hmm. that you wanted feedback. And so that kind of yeah. sent me down that path when you're talking about the scope of work. Because I think, um, you know, to me, I still see a potential role for the scope. You know, for example, uh, you're on subscription, Ron. And then someone comes along and says, hey, we have this problem with this. Can you fix that for us? Okay, let's talk about what that is. Let's talk about who's involved, what's in and out. So I still see scope playing a role more as kind of kind of um, guide rails uh, or guardrails to say, this is what we're going to focus on. This is what we're going to try to get done so that we know that, okay, when we, when we meet this point, then... The finishing the project from a task perspective is now completed. Now we go into what you guys were talking about in terms of ongoing ongoing modeling to make sure that it's working appropriately, for example, right? Uh, it's achieving the value that we all promised. But I, I personally don't have an issue with scope still being there, even on a subscription model, to be able to say, this is what we're going to be working on. I'm going to get my people to work with you on it so that, you know, for, for the you know, X amount of time, we need to get this thing done. And an example that, that I think about is um, we're doing some work with a major retail firm and they were having issues with inventory re- reserves, right? Their process for reserving inventory was incorrect. So if we'd been on subscription, then I wouldn't have a problem with them saying, hey, you know what? There's a couple questions about this. Can you guys come in, take a look at this, make some recommendations, and then we'll move on. So to me, I still see that projects could potentially play a role in stuff like that underneath subscriptions. So we can focus the the people on specific outcomes. Is that going to be an implementation of software? Is it going to be interviewing a person who's going to be coming in for a new job? Whatever that is, just making sure that there's kind of a common agreement. doesn't necessarily have to be a formal document. We're going to be checking off, making sure. But I think it sets the direction in terms of what's in and out in terms of achieving the outcomes that we're looking for. So I I see that as potentially playing a role in subscriptions. 
And and are you thinking for pricing changes too? Like this is no, but just more to get the work done. And here's what yeah. we're doing. Here's what we agreed upon. Yeah, from an effectiveness like, perspective. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because. I'm to the point now where even if I'm brought in for something that's not my expertise or not, you know, if they hired me as a pricing guy or whatever, and they come in and they say, well, we want you to sit in on this, you know, weird meeting or whatever to, to analyze this issue that has nothing to do with pricing. I'm still willing to do it. If, if I think I can add value, if, if, if it's beyond my expertise, I'll bow out. Mm-hmm. But if I can add value, I'll do it as part yeah. of the subscription. And this is how I think you get that, that, that price premium, that two times, three times, you know, what you, what your median price is before or whatever, because you can handle, you're willing to do things like that, yeah. you know, without going to the department of paperwork with a change request and triplicate and all that crap. It's just mm-hmm. frictionless. Yeah. Reginald, we'd like you to sit in on this and, and get your take on this. Yep. I'm, yeah, I'm yep. happy to do stuff like that. And, and that's the, where, where I think the the one model that John Rillo came up with the, that that home services is the, 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 this notion. Of, hey, the, these are the maintenance things that we're going to take care of. But if you want us to to g- be the GC for you putting a back deck on, we're happy to do that. So so the project fits underneath, as you say, the relationship, the relationship is still paramount. And then, yes, if we've got something that we need to run over here as a project. And I think that's what I was talking about with the whole scrum agile model where, yes, we should probably start with, hey, this is what we want to get accomplished. First thing we'd be do is to, to, to identify what are the top three things we could do. And then let's pick one, start working on that, but allow the, the agility to, to replace. Because what I found on almost all of the engagements that I've done a subscription on is that if I had had to stick to the initial scope so that I could, quote, deliver, the relationship would have suffered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the fact that it was subscription and the person that I was working with, we just said, you know what, that, the thing that we said that, that, that was that's on the list that I said it was going to do, we don't I don't think that makes any sense anymore. If you want me to do it, I will. And they were like, yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> let's let's execute over here. So right? That's been my experience too. the scope of work actually decreases on subscription in a weird. Yeah. yeah in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Next week on The Soul of Enterprise, we will be talking about the economic spectrum. We'll see you in 167 hours. This has been The Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week at noon Pacific time. That's 3 p.m. Eastern. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. <laughs>